Good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing? All right, all right. I feel you. <laughs> I know it's cold outside. Well, good morning. I am Sarah. I am the kids pastor here at New Community Church, and I'm pumped that you're with us. And if it's your very first Sunday or you're just new around here, you're kind of feeling everything out, I just want to say a special hello and welcome to you. Thanks for checking NCC out as you're looking for a local church or looking for those next steps in your walk with Jesus, like Jason was talking about earlier. And I just want to encourage you, if you're newer and you have not been to a Connect Lunch, we have one next Sunday. And I just want to invite you, because this is an opportunity for you to find out what NCC is all about, to connect with the staff, to connect with other people. And here's the thing. We're all about making people and places new at NCC. And so I know sometimes you hear things like that and you think, oh, that's good, that sounds good. But we actually really mean this. And we want to come alongside of you. We want to help you to grow. We don't want you to just come and attend church. We want you to be the church. And we know you're not meant to do that alone. And so if you've not been to one of these, come on out. There's free childcare. It's all completely free right after second service next Sunday. And if you know somebody who's new around here, invite them and bring them along with you if they don't want to come alone, all right? But mark that down. Now, if you weren't here last week, Aaron kicked off this new series, Creature of Habit. And when I found out about this series, I was so pumped because I'm kind of a nerd. I know I don't look like a nerd. Um, but I am a little nerdy, and I love stuff like this because there's something about habits that's just really interesting. Uh, when you get into the brain and how it operates, which we're going to talk about, uh, it's really interesting. But last week, if you didn't get to hear it, go back and listen. It's a really great message from Aaron as he kicked off talking about the good, good habits. And he talked about what habits are. There are these behaviors that happen automatically without us really even understanding or making a conscious choice, right? Our, our, our bodies and our minds just do it. And he talked about this cycle that happens over and over in habits, which is noticing. We notice something is wrong, something cues, something says, hey, and then we want, we have a desire, wanting, and we want to do something about it. And so then we do, we do something about it, doing, we have action, we, we eat when we're hungry, and then liking, we enjoy it, we feel satisfied. Uh, and this is that ongoing cycle of habit formation. And this week, we're going to talk about something that nobody really likes talking about, and that's bad habits. Now, why my husband assigned me the bad habits week, I don't know. Maybe he's unconsciously trying to tell me something, but I didn't mind because I love talking about habits. Um, and every single one of us has bad habits, right? Whether you bite your fingernails, hmm, yeah, you bite your fingernails, or you eat when you're stressed, or you leave the toilet seat. <clears throat> Gentlemen, uh, every single one of us has bad habits that we would like to or our loved ones would like for us to get rid of. And so this week, actually, Aaron and I are going to do a Facebook Live where we're going to share some really practical, down-to-earth strategies that we've found over the years that help us in reforming our habits. So you'll want to pay attention to our social media pages. We'll share more information about that. But this morning, we're going to hone in on one specific thing. And, and any time I think about habits, I think about my son Micah. He's back there at the sound booth. Everyone can turn and stare at him, embarrassingly, um, because I only have so much longer to do this. He's about to graduate from high school. So when he was little, he was a sleepwalker. Has anyone lived with a sleepwalker before? It's pretty scary, honestly. I had never been around anyone who walks in their sleep before. Now, Aaron talks in his sleep, which is scary as well. He'd carry on whole conversations with me and not remember. But Micah would walk in his sleep. And when he was a toddler, 
There was this incident where he got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, and he made his way out to the living room, missed the bathroom, and um, walked over to my guitar case, which was on the floor with my guitar in it laying down. And he proceeded to open the lid of the guitar case, similar to how you'd open the lid of a toilet. You see where this is going? And he started to lower his pants down and thank Jesus. Our teenage son was sleeping on the couch and had kind of awoken by this point and yells, Micah! And Micah kind of jolts and he walks Micah down to the bathroom and helps him go to the bathroom and get back into bed because my guitar would never have been the same after that. But this is the power of our brains. It's pretty crazy, right? He was sleeping, but moving. That boy could walk from the car to his bedroom, get a snack, all in his sleep. His brain was just operating on habit alone. And this is what habits are like in our brains. They're this like superpower that kind of takes over even when we're not aware of it. So the question is, how then do we harness this, this gift, this cycle, to break bad habits? Because sometimes, if you've ever tried to break a bad habit, you know it feels like an uphill battle, like your body is working against you. Your brain continues to want to do the same thing over and over again, and sometimes we don't even know why, right? You wake up and your spouse is like, do you know that you grind your teeth? Wait, what? No, I don't. You know that you snore all night? Yep, you do. We don't know some of these things, but they just happen. Our bodies and our brains just move on. And so how in the world can we break that cycle? Well, I do believe there's an answer. But today, as I was praying and really asking God throughout the past couple of weeks, what do we, what do we need to hone in on? We're going to focus in on one big bad habit. One big bad habit that if changed and redirected, could create a domino effect of positive results in all areas of our lives. See, there's these things, they're called keystone habits. Has anyone heard of keystone habits before? Um, they're really crazy awesome. So if you're nerdy like me, claim it, be proud. Um, you can go write this down and go Google it and look it up because it's really interesting. And basically what it is is that researchers have found that there are these big habits that whenever we do them, for some reason, they create this domino effect of other positive results. One such keystone habit is exercising regularly. Peter and Isabel are like, yep, um, exercising regularly. And what they found is when you exercise regularly, you tend to eat better. Not a big surprise, right? Because we always think those two go together, but there's a reason. Not only do we tend to eat better, but researchers have found we actually spend on credit cards less when we're working out regularly. Not only do we spend less on credit cards, we spend less on impulse purchases. We're less likely to dig that card out. And people who work out regularly tend to be more self-controlled and happy at work. How in the world does exercise do all of that in our lives? It just does. There are these big habits that change the way that we see ourselves. I'm the kind of person who works out regularly. And it creates this habit of self-discipline in other areas of, of our lives. Now, I'm not going to talk about exercising today. Phew! Uh, I know, we will deal with that later. Um, but today we are going to focus in on one big thing. But before we do, we're going to dig in a little bit as to how habits happen, okay? And to do this, we're going to take an inward journey, and I don't mean philosophically, I mean biologically. And I know you did not come into church this morning thinking, I'm going to learn about biology. 
but you are, because I'm a kids pastor, and I get to teach. And um, just for fun, I have a, um, a little prop. So Gabriel, come up here. You're going to be my model. Everybody give Gabriel a hand. Come on up here, Gabriel. This is a brain. If you can't tell, the different parts are highlighted. So we're just going to put that very nice. Just step right up here into the light, please. Okay, so we're going to learn a little bit about what happens in our brain when it comes to forming habits, okay? So as with everything in our brain, it can tend to be a smidge complicated. We're going to simplify it down. So don't get glazy-eyed. Stay with me here, all right? There are two main parts of your brain that are involved in creating and maintaining habits. The first is the frontal cortex, which is right up here, okay? And the frontal cortex, this is what we're gonna call your thinking brain. It's your thinking brain. It's responsible for planning and personality, your behavior, making decisions. Um, this is your thinking brain, the frontal cortex, okay? And it it's what receives a cue, it's what notices something's up, and it sends a signal to get something going to take care of that cue. Now, whether that solution is good for you in the long term has to do with the next part of your brain, which is it sends a signal to your stratum up there, which is part of your basal ganglia. I know, hang with me. We're just going to call that your habit brain, okay? Your habit brain, your thinking brain, sends a signal to your habit brain saying, hey, take care of this. Got to get something going. Now, Here's what's interesting, this stratum where your habits live, it's also where your memories, your emotions, and where pattern recognition lives in your brain. And it houses where dopamine is released. So that is what makes you feel good. Dopamine is our feel-good chemical. It gives the reward, okay? So let's walk through this practically. Your thinking brain says, hey, brains, the stomach is telling me it's hungry sends a signal to your habit brain. You gotta do something about this. Your habit brain looks, eh, efficient solution, drive-through. Goes through the drive-through, you aren't hungry anymore, you get dopamine, ta-da! Everybody's happy, you get a reward. Thank you very much, Gabriel. You can go have a seat. Everybody give him a hand. <laughs> very efficient. Now, this is what gets real crazy, is because you're habit brain is responsible for pattern recognition, okay? It's responsible for recognizing that a pattern is happening. When you meet a need in a specific way over and over again, your habit brain goes, oh, I got it, I got it. Thinking brain don't need you anymore. I got this all under control. And your thinking brain can move on to the next problem that it has to solve. So to make things a little more complicated, your thinking brain is also wired to turn off when you're under stress, when you're anxious, when your body thinks fight or flight, okay? And this is from hundreds of thousands of years of us having to survive constant danger. So our thinking brain, when we're stressed and anxious, it turns off. That's also where our self-control lives. You see the problem that's about to happen? So we live this crazy stress life. We're running from work to school to kids' activities to church to all these other things. And our thinking brain is offline and our habit brain has taken over. Now, if you've never experienced your habit brain taking over, this is what it's like when you go to drive to the post office, you pull into the grocery store parking lot and go, how did I get here? 
because your brain went, oh my gosh, I have so much to get done, and your thinking brain was way over here, and your habit brain is like, pattern, go to the grocery store, and that's where it took you. And this happens to us all the time, right? Our habit brain is in default mode. Trigger, behavior, reward, repeat. Trigger, behavior, reward, repeat. Whether that's good for us in the long term or it's gonna lead us to 500 pounds, it doesn't matter. Your brain is surviving right here because habits are about prediction. So your brain, it, it's so efficient, you guys. It wants to solve a, a temporary problem with a permanent solution so that it, your thinking brain can move on to the next problem that comes up. And so, we find ourselves in this vicious cycle where we don't even know how we got here and we have these bad habits moving on in autopilot. Now here's the thing. This can seem like really bad news, right? You're like, okay, so you just told me it's basically useless. I'm never gonna get my eating under control. Not true, not true. Um, because I do believe this is an intelligent system that was created by an infinite God. This is not an accident. God made us this way with a purpose and a plan. So then how come sometimes it seems like our biology is fighting against us? Well, we're gonna look at that today. We're gonna do what we always do and go to the scriptures with our question. Yes, the scripture has a lot to say about science. We're gonna go to the scripture with our question and we're gonna see what God has to say because I really, really believe that this system that God created of habits in our mind is something that is incredible and powerful. It's just been twisted by the sin and the brokenness in our world. So we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to start at the very beginning. If you don't have a Bible, please grab a Bible. Again, this is a good habit to open up the scriptures when we come into this room together. So if you don't have a Bible, you can take that one home with you. It's our gift to you. Grab your phone, Google Genesis 2, look it up in version. But everybody, let's look at the scriptures together and let's read this together. Now that we're back in the garden before sin, Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the man be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock, the birds of the heavens, every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a suitable helper for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So at the beginning of time, before sin, before brokenness, we see a cycle emerge. And this is what it looks like. We have a need. God has anticipated our need, provides for the need, and we are satisfied. Adam needs food. God provides food. Adam is satisfied. Adam needs a helper. God provides a helper. Adam is satisfied. 
And this cycle continues. When, when he needs companionship, God walks with him in the garden, and they are satisfied until something breaks that cycle, right? The devil comes to Eve, and he doesn't just ask her any question. He doesn't just challenge anything. He challenges God's provision over her. Did God really say that you shouldn't eat that? Maybe he just, he knows you eat that, you're like him. He doesn't really have your best in mind. Maybe you should make your own plan for how things work around here. And she does. She believed God was holding back, so she chose her own plan. Adam followed suit, and this new cycle enters our world. So let's take a look at that cycle. Flip over to Genesis 3, just a little bit, a few verses down, starting at verse 16. God is speaking to Adam and Eve after he discovers their sin, and he says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you will bring forth children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he'll rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you will eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. What does this sin cycle look like? We have a need. We work hard to fill it. It's never quite enough. And we eventually die. We have a need. We work really hard by the sweat of our brow to fill it, and it's never enough, and it brings death. This cycle over and over and over again. So what is that one really big bad habit that if we change it, will we'll change a lot of other things in our lives? What is the one cycle that leads us from making one bad choice to leading one bad life? It is this right here. My one worst habit and yours is thinking I know better than God. My one worst habit is thinking I know better than God. This was the first sin. This was Eve's sin. Man, God, I don't know if you have my best in mind. I don't know if your provision is enough. I need to take things into my own hands. I think I know better than you. See, this is so interesting to me because James Clear, he has this book called Atomic Habits. Highly recommend it. It's fantastic. And he says this. He's not a Christian, by the way. The cause of your habits is the prediction that precedes them. The cause of your habits is the prediction that perceives them. Okay? You act in a certain way. Your brain has taken on a habit because it's predicted a certain outcome. So if, if we rely on ourselves then and not on God... It's because the sin in our hearts has led us to believe what Eve believed. Our prediction is, God does not have my best in mind. God is not going to come through for me. I need to do this on my own. It, it reminds me of this story I read about two kids, brother and sister, who got to go to the dollar store, pick out a toy. The girl picks out marbles. The boy picks out candy. And true to sibling form, when they get home, after eating a bit of candy, playing with the marbles, they decide to swap. So unbeknownst to the boy, the little girl holds on to a few marbles to play with later. And as she's sitting there eating the candy from her brother, she finds herself thinking, 
bet he didn't give me all of it. I bet he's holding on to some candy. That jerk. He's got candy in his pockets. I know he held back from me. Why? Because she held back. And we do this all the time with people in our lives, a lot of times with our spouse, but all the time with Jesus. We come to God, who is infinitely loving, gracious forever, and our broken hearts cannot fathom that he would actually give everything for us because we hold back from him so much. And so we can't believe that he's got our best in mind, that he's going to come through, because we're holding on holding on to our plan, always have the backup plan. And this is the problem, is our ever-perceptive brains that God made, they create a solution for this. We predict God's going to let us down, so we determine we know better than he does. We choose our own way, and over years and years and days and days, a nice, deep rut of self-reliance is formed in our minds. But then we come to Jesus, right? We come to Jesus. Something happens in our life. Our marriage is falling apart or we're desperate or we feel meaningless or whatever leads us to say, okay, God, your way. I, I, I'm giving it all to you. And, and we come to this altar or we kneel by our bed and we say, Jesus, I, I want to give everything to you. I'm a mess. Whatever it takes, I surrender to you. And the next day we wake up and we're still feeding on a little adrenaline from yesterday. I'm going to be different. I'm going to be different. I got this. And the self-control thinking part of our brain fires up all cylinders, man. You got this. You're going to do this. And self-control is kicking in. I'm going to live a different way. What's the problem? <laughs> we're still doing it on our own. Self-control is exhaustible, you guys. We do not have an infinite amount of it. So eventually, we blow it, we fail, we fall, and what do we think? God, you let me down again. Thought you were going to make me different this time. How can I even go to church? How can I show my face around people when I got all this crap going on in my life? I thought you saved me from this. I thought I was a different person, and I'm still dealing with it. You got years and years of self-reliance, this deep rut in your brain of choosing your own way. Now, please hear me. I'm not taking away the supernatural power of God. You can come to this altar and God can break that stuff off of you immediately. Absolutely he can. But can I tell you something else I know about God? He knows the power of the process. He knows there's a power in the process. Aaron talked about this last week. Jesus is a perfect human being, and he spends 30 years preparing for three years of ministry. Couldn't God have just snapped his fingers and said, you're ready, go? Absolutely. But God knows the power of the process. God is not in the business of creating robots, guys. If he wanted to fix your behavior like that, he could. He's not about creating robots. God is in the process, in the business of making disciples. Disciples, followers. And discipleship, it costs us. Upstairs in New Kids, I love this. Every single week, we teach the kids the A, B, Cs. Admit you sinned, believe Jesus can save you, and choose every day to follow him. That's what discipleship is. It's not a one-stop shop where you come forward to the altar and everything is broken away from your life and it's easy, smooth sailing. It is daily 
choosing to submit ourselves to his plan. My psychology professor, he told me this. He said, habits don't live in a vacuum. If you want to stop a bad habit, you can't just stop. You replace it. You replace it. I remember when I was little, my best friend's dad smoked constantly. And then one day I went over, and instead of ashtrays, there were bowls of lemon drops all over the house. And it was because every time he wanted a cigarette, he popped a lemon drop in his mouth. Now, his teeth are probably rotten today, but he stopped smoking because he replaced one habit with something else, right? And this is what, this is what we have to do. This is actually scriptural, okay? I, I was so blown away by this when my professor taught me this. He said, Ephesians 4.28 says, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands. In other words, you don't just stop stealing. You gotta start doing something, okay? The, the whole phrase, idle hands do the devil's work, that's, it, it's, it's a true thing. You gotta keep your hands busy doing what God has made you to do. So if we're gonna turn this habit around, if we're gonna stop the cycle of relying on our own solutions, there's gotta be a first step, and this is it. Never get off the altar. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. God's been smacking me around with this this week. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What's the answer to kicking this one bad habit? It's to never get off the altar. Well, what, what does that mean? I'm glad you asked. I love research. Again, nerd. I could be a student forever and be happy. So I did a bunch of research. And here's what I found out. There's, there's a lot of different types of sacrifices in the Old Testament. Um, there's the sacrifice of atonement, which most of us are fairly familiar with. This is where the blood cleansed us from sin. So in the Old Testament, they'd bring an animal, and the blood would cover the sin of the person. Now, we know that Jesus paid that price forever. He is the ultimate sacrifice of atonement. So we know that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul is talking about another sacrifice that was called the sacrifice of acknowledgement. Acknowledgement. And this is what that sacrifice looked like. You would bring something you owned, an animal, a food, something from your crop, and you would bring it before the priest and you would lay your hand on it and you would transfer ownership to God. You would in that moment relinquish all right you had to that and it became completely and wholly God's property. This is what Paul's talking about. It's as if when we come to Jesus, we lay our hands on our life and say, God, I transfer ownership. I have no more rights. I have no claim to this life. I die with Christ. I am completely yours. You can have your way. That's it's pretty powerful. It's a pretty powerful thing. The problem is how hard it is to do every day because um, honestly, sometimes what we do is we come to Jesus with our problems and we say, God, my marriage is a disaster. Please help. God, my kids are a mess. Can you fix them, please? God, my finances, I don't have money. Please help. And we bring him problems instead of ourselves. 
And Jesus is not a solution for your problems. He's a savior of our souls. He is not after your behavior. He's after your heart. If Jesus wanted to change us from the outside in, he could do that. He could do that. But again, no robots here. God wants to change our hearts from the inside. He doesn't want us to give him stuff to own. He wants to own us. He wants to have the control every single day. And can I just tell you this? I've been following Jesus for the majority of my life. And I honestly thought as a 20-year-old, it would eventually get easier to do this. I was so foolish because now I have kids to worry about. I mean, how am I going to let them go into the world and trust that God's going to take care of them? It's a daily thing. And as soon as we think we've got this down, I'm telling you, watch it because something's going to catch you in the butt. You have got to stay on the altar every single day. It's a sacrifice. And here's, here's the thing about this habit stuff is the cues, this noticing part here, that doesn't change. What happens is we change how, how we meet the need. So, so we know this right with our diet. It's not like when you go on a diet, you stop eating altogether. It's that you change how you're eating, right? So we know that about that. Well, here's the thing. The desires you have that you're trying to meet every single day, they were put there by God way back in the garden, way back in creation. God made us to rely on him. And this is the thing. He's the only one that can fill those things. He is the only one that satisfies. Remember, our cycle is it's enough. We survive and eventually die. When we rely on him completely and wholly, we actually can feel satisfied. And so many of us, you guys, we're, we're fighting in our own strength to just get over some of these bad habits in our lives. But can I tell you something? There's always going to be more bad habits in your life than you know what to do with. I mean, you know this. If you meet someone who's 70 or 80 years old, are they over their bad habits? Where am I? 70 to 80 years old, people. You guys over all your bad habits? You moved on? No, we're always going to have bad habits to deal with, but there is only one that will cost you your soul. There is only one bad habit that will cost you your soul, everything that you have. So what is worth that? As long as we continue trying to meet a God-created need with a man-created solution, it will let us down every time, every time. And we're going to, guys, we're going to do it. We're going to keep failing. The key is what? To come back, come back to the altar. You know, as, as I was preparing this message, I got to this point and I stopped and I prayed because I was like, Jesus, I'm, I'm missing something. What am I missing? And he led me to this practice that we were taught in Bible school, which was if you want to understand a passage, you go back and read the verses before and the verses after, because when they wrote the Bible, they didn't put chapters and verses in. That was a, a later thing. So I went back to chapter 11, and, and here's what I read. Oh, how great are, the, are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give God advice? 
And who's given him so much that he needs to pay it back to you? For everything comes from God and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. And so, dear brothers, I plead with you to give your bodies as a living sacrifice. See, here's what I was missing is, until we recognize how incredibly awesome and powerful and gracious and loving and good God is, and how jacked up and messed up and broken we are, we will never feel he's worthy of our life. Never. We have to recognize how incredible he is and how desperately we need him. And again, this isn't a one-time sacrifice. This is, this is every day. Whenever I first met Aaron, he was 18. I was 17. He had only been following Jesus again for about a year. We were at Bible college together. We were just friends at this point. And I remember thinking he had some really odd habits. Um, he would not listen to any rap music, even Christian rap music, no rap music whatsoever, like would walk out of the room if it was playing because he said it reminded him of who he used to be and he, want, he didn't want to go back. He would leave every morning and every night to go walk the prayer walk and pray. Even if we were like watching a movie or we were in the middle of a conversation, card game, didn't matter, he'd walk out and go pray. He told me how um, when he committed his life to Jesus again the year before, he went from having lots of friends to one friend because he sat his friends down and told them, hey, you're part of my bad cycle and I can't do it anymore. So he spent a lot of weekends alone. He moved from home to Waxahachie, Texas, to go to Bible college, completely left everything behind. And even as a 17-year-old who was trying desperately to follow Jesus, I was amazed by this. He was willing to let everything go, put everything on the line, because he didn't want a solution. He wanted to be saved. He wanted to be different. And sometimes, you guys, I think kids and students, they get this so much more quickly than we do as adults. Because which of us as adults, when we come to this altar, is willing to say, man, God, my job is toxic to my relationship with you. I got to let it go. Man, God, that group of friends that I love hanging out with and have known for 10 years, they are a horrible influence on my relationship with you. I got to let them go. I'll spend weekends alone, Jesus. I don't care. It's not worth my soul. Which of us is willing to lay it all down to move anywhere, to go anywhere, to do anything because we need a savior. We don't need solutions. Your brain can come up with solutions. You need a savior. We all need a savior. And after 22 years of following Jesus, I need a savior just as much today as I did all those years ago.